The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the sixth chapter. And then Jesus said to them, But I say to you that listen, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you. And if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies. Do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For the measure you give will be the measure you get back. The Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. Good morning, everyone. It's a pleasure to be with you all this morning. As Pastor Keith said earlier, my name is Brad. I work in the Synod office, and I get to work with a whole number of ministries, including many that this congregation is engaged with, like your partnership with Cathedral uh, Parish in Lesotho in Tanzania, uh, as well as um, uh, many of the youth uh, and faith formation activities uh, of this congregation. And as I shared at the last service, although I don't see her in here right now, but, but don't tell her I said that. There she is. <laughs> I, I said Courtney uh, Smith, uh, who hopefully most of you all know, uh, used to work with me in the Synod office before y'all stole her, um, or your pastor stole her, so um, <laughs> we're glad she's here, uh, but uh, it's just a blessing the way that we're all bound together in this ministry that we do. And one of the things that I love uh, about um, the Scriptures the most are the stories from the Old Testament about some of the really interesting characters that we get to meet. Characters like Jacob that wrestle with the angel and, and Moses who, who apparently can't uh, hardly speak publicly uh, straight and yet becomes this great leader of the Israelites as they're, they're led out from Egypt and Abraham and, and all of these, these, these great characters that we remember from uh, our, our, our good Sunday school lessons that we attended uh, back in the day or, or just from our readings of the, of the Scriptures. And this uh, story that we heard from the Old Testament in the first reading today is a part of one of those, those, uh, one of those narratives about uh, 
about Joseph. And Joseph, uh, his story began long before this passage, but we kind of see uh, one of the, the late uh, chapters of his story this morning. Joseph, of course, in this story is the same one of Technicolor Dreamcoat Lore, uh, who was, was uh, one of the favorites of his parents, uh, of Jacob and, and his wives, uh, when, when, uh, when, when he was being raised, and his other brothers were jealous of this. And so, one day when they were all out, they, of course, they took him, and they, they captured him, and they beat him up, and they sold him away to, to, to be a slave. And he was taken away from home, and he was taken down to Egypt. And he was, he was a slave. He was one of the, the, the lowest of the low. But somehow he worked his way up and, and ended up becoming uh, Pharaoh's right-hand man, running all of the business of the empire and the city. And in his wisdom and, and with, through his, uh, both his prophetic insight and his practical ability, was able to store up food for them. So when this great famine came across all of the Mediterranean world, that Egypt was the only place, at least in that part of the, the Mediterranean world, where there was food stored up. And so in this chapter of the story, we find Joseph's brothers and family and father and mothers traveled to Egypt because they need food. And they find themselves, ironically enough, at the feet of Joseph. And they are, uh, shall we say, a little less than thrilled about this. Because these brothers, they realize that uh, this person, the, the person that now holds all control over to whether they're going to live or die, uh, is someone that may not have the most benevolent of feelings towards them. Uh, having been beaten and hogtied and sold to slavers, you know, like brothers do. And, <laughs> and, and then when they, when they come before him, when they encounter him, instead, Joseph replies with this graciousness and this kindness and this love that forgives them for all that they did and takes them in and greets them as, as, as what they are his long-lost family that he had been estranged from, he had been separated from, and now they have been brought back together. It's an important story, like so many of these great stories of, uh, throughout Genesis and the Old Testament, because it, it, it reveals to us some of the things at the very heart of our faith. And this story of Joseph, as so often happens with the Scripture text that we read each, each Sunday in church, goes perfectly with what we find Jesus talking about in the Gospel reading this morning. Now, this morning's gospel uh, is, is kind of the dramatic conclusion to last week's gospel. Uh, for those of you uh, that were in church last week, I won't ask for a show of hands because I know your pastors are here and they may uh, turn around, but uh, if you weren't in, in church last week, I'll just refresh your memory a little bit. So, last uh, Sunday, the gospel text was one of the most famous in all of Scripture. It was Luke's uh, recording of Jesus preaching in the Sermon of the Mount and His Beatitudes. And in the Beatitudes, there are these famous proclamations that Jesus makes. Most of you, I'm sure, have heard them before and, and perhaps could even recite them from memory. If the, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the hungry. Well, I know that not everyone was necessarily at church, and it was a whole week ago, and I'm sure you have busy lives. So I'm just going to refresh your memory with what some of those things that Jesus started this sermon that we now hear uh, some more of this week, what He started it with last week. And so Jesus says, Jesus says that my phone isn't loading fast enough. 
There we go. Jesus says, blessed are the rich and the powerful, the important, for the world will dance to their tune. Remember, right? Blessed are the strong, the aggressive, the ruthless, for their enemies will fear them. Blessed are the arrogant, the winners and the conquerors, for they will be admired, celebrated, and talked about. But woe to you who are poor, for the world doesn't owe you a thing. Woe to you who are meek, for your enemies will walk all over you. Woe to you who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for that's unrealistic, and no one really cares. The word of the Lord. No, I... <laughs> so, just so we're all on the same page, that is not... Uh, I know translations can vary, but that is not <laughs> what Jesus uh, said in his Beatitudes. In fact, it's the exact opposite. Um, and it probably sounded, once you realized what was going on, a little jarring to you, a little out of place, not like the words you're used to hearing spoken from Jesus' mouth, certainly not things that you're used to hearing on Sunday mornings. I mean, Jesus, after all, we often think of Jesus, regardless of how much historical or Scripture study we, we may or may not have done, as this, this kind of version of Jesus from the, the, the gospel movies from like the, the 60s and 70s, where Jesus like kind of floats over the land and he, he, he tells nice stories and he heals cute children, right? And then for, for no reason at all, mean people come and they grab him and kill him, right? That's kind of, that's kind of the, the way we often think of Jesus, like this, this, this little lamb, this, harmful, or this harmless, non-offensive person that just wanted to help people. I mean, after all, doesn't Jesus just want us all to be nice people? But you see, that's not what Jesus is talking about in the gospel this morning, and Jesus wasn't killed because he never offended anyone, quite the opposite. And Jesus, like us, lived in very divisive, conflicted one might even say dangerous times. Jesus was born and raised in occupied territory. He, he was born in, in first century Palestine in, in, in an area that had been conquered and overcome by the Roman armies. And the, the Roman occupiers, which took over so much of the, the Mediterranean world, were not known for their, their kindness and benevolence. They, they tended not to completely subjugate their people, but they made it very clear who was in charge, who held the power, and what would happen to you if you challenged the powers that be. And in, in Jesus' time, you could imagine that his childhood and, and the, the, his ministry took place in a landscape that probably had more in common with 21st century Afghanistan or Iraq than with America or context that many of us are probably familiar with. Jesus lived in occupied territory, and what you said then, as now, could get you into trouble. We too live in times that are deeply divided. I'll pause for uh, dramatic effect there, because <laughs> I know you all know that. This isn't a, a new thing to say. This, this is… Uh, unfortunately something that is increasingly becoming the fact that, that we, because of everything from our politics to our technology and our social media, that, that we tend to find ourselves pitted in one camp or another on just about everything. If, we're, if you're not for one side, you are against them, and you have to then obviously be at the opposite extreme. It doesn't matter if we're, we're speaking of leaders and politicians. This is equally true of 
Republicans and Democrats. Uh, uh, this is equally true of Fox News and CNN and MSNBC. This is equally true of all of our Facebook friends or other people that we might engage with on social media. We live in a society where people want to be right. People want to be on the right side of things. And, and how power and, and politics and life together takes place is all shaped in the midst of these divisions. Jesus' time had that in common with ours. But there's some things we can learn from today's gospel lesson uh, that from Jesus' context that can perhaps help us to approach how we live in our own times, in our own context, in a, in a different way as well. So, in some of the examples that Jesus provides this morning, He's expanding upon uh, those things that He said in the, the real Beatitudes, the correct ones, uh, last week. Now, the irony, of course, is that the, the Beatitudes or the anti-Beatitudes that I just shared with you all really, truthfully, more echo the way of the world than the ones that Jesus shared. They, they honestly shouldn't sound that strange to our ears because just about everything in our lives and in our world function within those categories. Those who hold the power, the, those who have the wealth, th- those who, who are the defenders of the status quo, those people, uh, they profit and they excel. It's, it's the smart, the beautiful, the wise, the, the fast, the, 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 the strong that succeed in our, in our society and in our world. And yet Jesus preaches something so very different, something that seems the exact opposite of that, perhaps something on the the other side, the side of the powerless, the side of the marginalized and the oppressed. And Jesus certainly does do that over and over again throughout His ministry. But Jesus is not just trying to lay some additional requirements upon us. The golden rule is not so much intended just to be just another rule. In fact, Jesus was moving away from that whole emphasis of the Jewish tradition in His day. What Jesus gives us this morning are expansions upon the Beatitudes, and I want to focus on a few of those now. When Jesus says that we should love our enemies, He then goes on to say some examples of how. He says, when someone takes your coat, you should give them your cloak as well or your shirt as well, depending on the translation. And what this is saying is referring to a very specific practice in Jesus' time. Because then, like now, often the very poor, the extremely vulnerable, could be sued for absolutely everything they owned. Everything they had could be taken away to repay their debt to someone else. However, while you could sue someone for everything they had down to their very coat, you could not sue them for their the shirt off of their back. Even then, that was looked down upon. And so what Jesus says is that when someone sues you for your coat, when someone uses all the power of empire and oppression to take from you what little that you have, don't just give them your coat, but give them your cloak and your shirt. Heck, give them your pants as well. Expose to them through the coloration of your underpants just how dysfunctional and broken the system that they are engaging in, that they are a part of, that they are representing is, how abusive what is taking place actually is. And so when Jesus says to turn the other cheek, He's doing something very similar. Because in His time and place, it was completely lawful 
for a master to, to strike a slave or a servant for any reason at all, whether they did something wrong or, or they just were having a bad day. But it was not lawful for a master to backhand a servant or a slave. In, in fact, this was seen as deeply dishonorable, as it regarded the person as less than human, less than them. And, and in, that, in that time and place, as in many ancient cultures, honor was a big deal. In fact, it was at the heart of most of their moral codes. And so when Jesus says, when someone strikes you to turn the other cheek, what he's saying is that when someone in that system of power, who has more power, strikes that person with less, that they should then turn their cheek, inviting them to hit them again. But in order to hit them a second time, they would have to employ a backhand. And by doing so, they would bring dishonor upon themselves, again exposing the brokenness and abuse inherent in the very system. And lastly, in the Gospel of Matthew, when when Matthew shares the same uh, Sermon on the Mount that, that our reading this morning is taken from, from the Gospel of Luke, he uses another example. He says, when someone asks you to walk a mile with them, that you should walk a second mile as well. This isn't just some trendy physical fitness plan, <laughs> but this is, in fact, uh, a reference to a very specific custom of the uh, Roman army and military. In fact, in any occupied territory across the Roman Empire, a Roman centurion or, or any Roman citizen could at a moment's notice conscript any occupied person to carry their things, their armor, their, their luggage, or their bedroll, whatever they might have. But what they could not do is force them to march and carry their things for more than a mile because that was seen as too abusive, too much of a burden upon the local people that would, would, would take them out of their normal everyday lives. And so, when we offer to walk the second mile, what we're actually doing is asking them to break their own law, and we're helping them with it. We're inviting them to walk along with us more than what is required of us by the system as it is, but we're asking them to continue walking with us as an equal not as uh, a slave or a servant. That is, if they will break their own law to walk a second mile with us. Again and again, Jesus provides these lenses into what His proclamation is all about. And it's not about just giving us better sets of rules. It's not like we had a silver rule before, and now we have this really shiny golden one, and that's the way to salvation. But what Jesus is trying to help us to see is that our salvation, but also equally as important, our happiness and well-being in this world are found not in being on the right side of history or of power or of, or of converting other people to our point of view, but instead in, in insisting on seeing that other person as a child made in the image and likeness of God. That when we, we look into the eyes of the other, both our brother or our sister, our mother or our father, but equally so, the illegal immigrant crossing the southern border of our country, perhaps at this very moment, and the border patrolman on guard a few miles from there, as well as our president, as well as 
kings and, and powerful people as well as the most vulnerable and the poor and the destitute and the homeless people who are at this very moment camping out in Suburban Station to get out of the rain just a half hour from here in Philadelphia. In each of those eyes, you will glimpse God. You will see, uh, you will see a brief glimpse of the divine. And, and Jesus is trying to help us to see that no matter how we configure the system, that we will never attain that promise that all the rules in the world might hold out for us, all the systems, all the power and riches and wealth that the world has to offer, but that instead we will find our own redemption in the eyes of one another and in holding, standing side by side with one another, hand in hand, as they would, our Tanzanian brothers and sisters would say, bega qua bega, shoulder to shoulder, as equals, as peers, as children of God. That God loves you more than you or I could ever possibly imagine. And in that, and in that alone, is where all of our hope and our life and our salvation is always to be found. Amen.